0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, we'll check out how the Bucks, O's, and Nats wrapped up the weekend. We'll put a wrap on the West Virginia High School uh, State Baseball Tournament. I said that backwards. I'm, the West Virginia State High School, whatever. You know what I mean. They played some baseball this weekend in Charleston. <laughs> Why does that not sound right coming out of my mouth? The West Virginia State Baseball Tournament. West Virginia State High School Baseball Tournament. There we go. There we go. It only took three tries. For a Monday, uh, not bad. Bucks and Hawks uh, played game three of the Eastern Conference Finals in Atlanta. We'll uh, recap that game. We'll preview game one of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight in Tampa. Lightning hosting the Cinderella Canadiens. Le Habitant. And uh, College World Series begins tonight. Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. And how Vanderbilt got there was a bit of a sore spot for some folks because the NCAA royally screwed over NC State in Omaha. And we'll talk about that and uh, much more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another work week, the final week of June already. Can you believe that? Time flies. Time flies. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at Rush. At Rush Tony C, that's the letter C, not the word C. Uh, Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. uh, Anytime you feel froggy, take the leap and drop me a line. Message me. Got a question, comment, opinion on anything we talk about, anything you want to talk about, feel free. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628, 301-759-2628, and of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. Go back and check out anything you may have missed on any show that we have done, except for one uh, a few months ago, but anyway, that's beside the point. All right, I hope you had a great weekend. Speaking of time flies, and I never thought about this, uh, it seems as if the older you get, the faster time goes. And I know it makes no sense, because whether you're 5 or 50, a second is a second, right? A minute is still a minute. It's still 60 seconds. An hour is still – like time – does not change. The length of time, it it, it remains constant. So why is it? Why does it seem like the older you get, the faster time goes? And it was put to me in a way I'd never thought of before. And this was uh, late last week. Uh, We were down at uh, DDB having a couple sips. And my man, Bart, Put it this way. And I know I'm not going to put it as good as he did. But he basically said, you know, if you're five years old. A year. Is only one fifth of your life. Like it's a big deal. Right. If you're five, even if you're 10 years old. A full year. Is a tenth of your life. That's a long time. But when you're 50. A year is only it's one fiftieth of your life. It's so it feels like a blip. Does that make sense? And I'd never really thought about it that way. I it's all about, I guess, perspective. So even though you know time's really not going faster, because again, time is 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 constant. Time remains the same. It's perspective. And and I thought that was interesting. If you're five years old, one year is a huge chunk of your life because it's, it's one-fifth. If you're 50, like me, one year is only one 50. It's, it's a small fraction of the entirety of your lifetime. Therefore, it seems faster. Never thought about that. Never had it put to me that way before. And it, it does. It makes sense. It does make sense. Time does indeed fly whenever you get older because you've already lived a lot. Anyway, I just thought I just wanted to bring it out there. And just to, hey, just in case you get into a conversation like I did, and somebody says, Oh man, what time really flies, you get older, you can boom. Drop that bomb on them and blow their minds. How about that? All right, let's uh kick off today's show as we kick off every show with the rock around the region. I wanna rock. And we start uh with major league baseball where the Pirates uh, were led by a couple of rookies in St. Louis.
2: And a swing of the ground, ball to third. Hayes from foul ground on to first. And he got him! What a play by Key Brian Hayes! He threw out Molina two steps into foul territory. What an extraordinary play.
1: Joe blocked the call on the Pirates radio network. Key Brian Hayes with one of the best plays you'll ever see by a third baseman, ever. And that is not an exaggeration. Now, it did help that it was Yadier Molina running. If anybody else is running, he doesn't get him out because Molina is slower than molasses in the wintertime. But still, an outstanding play by Hayes. Two steps, well into foul territory, turning, jumping, throwing. And he threw a he threw an absolute dart. As far as accuracy, it was a bullseye. It was a great play. Anyway, that play uh, backed up fellow rookie Max Kranick, who made his major league debut on the mound. Kranick, who didn't even pitch above high A ball before this year. He was fast-tracked through the minors to yesterday. Through five perfect innings before an hour rain delay forced him out of the game. He threw only 50 pitches, 36 for strikes, and struck out three. One heck of a debut, five perfect innings for Max Cranick. Pirates won the game 7-2 to take three of four in the series. Gregory Polanco and Ben Gamble homered, and Adam Frazier had three hits for the Bucks, who have won six of nine of following their 10-game losing streak. Elsewhere, the Nationals were in Miami looking for a four-game split with the Marlins.
2: A long hold, the 0-1. Swinging a high fly ball, right center field deep. Cooper giving chase. This one's way back there. It may go, and it's gone. Opposite field, right center. Home run number 12 for Trey Turner. And the Nationals are in front, 3-1. to one. Now what a big fly to right center. Opposite field power for the Nationals shortstop. They take advantage of the leadoff walk with a blast. The Nationals have the two-run lead, 3-1. to one.
1: Trey Turner, home run, put the Nats up 3-1, and then a couple batters later.
2: The 1-1. Swing and a drive, left center field. This one is crushed. Way back goes Sanchez looking up, and there it goes. Long gone to left center, over the wall for Josh Bell, his 11th of the year. The Nationals on a pair of two-run homers, now lead Miami 5-1 in the sixth inning.
1: Dave Jagler of the calls on the Nationals Radio Network. 5-1 the final Nats win, thanks to those two-run bombs by Turner and Josh Bell in the sixth inning. Max Scherzer went six innings, allowing just one run on five hits with seven strikeouts. Nats remain four games behind the first-place Mets in the NL East. And the Blue Jays, uh, yeah, NL East, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mouth said NL East. My brain heard AL East. But I did say NL East, right? Okay. And the Blue Jays beat the Orioles in Buffalo 5 to 2 to take 3 of 4 in that series. Ryan Mountcastle homered for the O's, who have lost 16 of 18. And speaking of homers, earlier in the weekend, ESPN sources confirmed that Trey Mancini has accepted an invitation to compete in this year's Home Run Derby. Now we know, we should know Mancini's story by now. He missed all last season after being diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. He returned this season after having surgery. He has 14 homers with 52 RBI this year. So uh, perhaps the biggest, uh, most feel-good story of the Major League Baseball season continues as Trey Mancini... Uh, We'll uh, take part in the Home Run Derby. In high school baseball, in case you missed it, on Saturday, Moorfield won its third straight Class A state baseball title with an 11-8 win over the man Hillbilly, still one of the greatest nicknames ever. Carson Reed had three hits, drove in three runs, and went four innings to pick up the win for the Yellow Jackets, who finished their title run with a record of 22-5. Uh, They won state titles in 2018, 2019. Of course, no tournament last year because of the pandemic. And they come back to win this year their third straight state title. Uh, here's head coach Wade Armantrout. Hard to describe what these guys have accomplished, especially in their career. You know,
3: everybody's always picking each other up no matter what the situation is. We've had guys that have stepped up in big situations. Jaden Moore's had a great tournament, um, did well at the plate. Our pitchers came through today, banged out 15 hits against a really good team. So It's, it's just a fantastic team. They're, they're just great guys. They're unselfish. Um, they, they like to do things that are going to help the team. I think in the 82 years, of baseball in West Virginia, I could only see that three teams won back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. I think it was maybe one team in triple, one in single-A, one in double-A. So it's been really difficult to do, obviously, but you know, the, these guys have worked hard. they played a lot of baseball when they were young. Their parents support it. Our community supports it. Um, so we're, we're hoping that it's going to continue, but, man, we sure are going to enjoy it. We're going to miss these seniors.
1: So to Jackets, congratulations to them. Their third straight Class A title. And you heard Coach talk about uh, only three teams in the state's history have won back-to-back-to-back uh, state titles. One of those teams, Bridgeport, who won back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back six straight A titles, they have moved the AAA this year, and guess what? They won another one. <laughs> to put a cap on the West Virginia State Baseball Tournament, And, believe it or not, the 2020-21 sports year, uh, the guys at Metro News.
4: Joe Piccato and Greg Carey here to put a wrap on the state high school baseball tournament. Three champions crowned today. Two defending champions. The first, the Bridgeport Indians, bumping up to Class AAA and winning their seventh consecutive state title. Now, they've won state titles every year since 2014, Greg, but I get the sense from talking to Robert Shields after the game, this one stands out without question. Yeah,
5: you, you and I have both known Robert Shields a long time, and obviously he's a baseball lifer, but you could tell after they beat Jefferson the other night this was a game he really wanted. He's had this circled. Numerous good Bridgeport teams throughout the years, and Christ AAA a haven't gotten to this point. So for them to do it certainly means a lot to him, and you really got to tip your cap to Ryan Goff. Only pitches 12 innings all season. The University of Charleston bound player comes in in relief four and a third strong innings, and it played a very vital role for the Indians in their 10-4 victory. Class AA, the Logan Wildcats, with
4: their first title in over a decade, and a very impressive hitting performance in a 13-0 five-inning win over North Marion. This one was over pretty quickly after back-to-back four-run innings
5: in the first and second. I think one of the things coming in for Logan that was really impressive, you're kind of concerned, maybe an emotional walk-off victory yesterday. How did they respond from it? They showed right away, turned a double play in the top of the first inning, score four runs in the bottom of the first, scored four in the second and the third and they were in complete control throughout very impressive performance by a team with six sophomores and two freshmen in their starting lineup. And
4: another team coming off of a walk-off
5: victory yesterday,
4: the Moorfield Yellow Jackets. They win their third consecutive Class A state title. Eight of nine guys in the starting nine got hits. They ran through a couple of different pitchers, but an 11-8 victory gives them the Class A state title for the third year in a row and uh, certainly reinforcing the notion that Moorfield is the dominant Class A program in the state.
5: Without a doubt, you know, a lot of times the winning teams down here, particularly when they put up runs, you'll hear the coach talk about we hit one through nine. But Moorfield really is the epitome of a team that gets production from the entirety of its lineup. It seems like a different guy can beat you every night. And man put up a good fight. Man jumped out in front early. You're kind of worried. Moorfield coming off a walk-off victory. where they get off to a sluggish start? They did for an inning and a half. But they were able to rebound. And once they got rolling, it seemed like every at-bat was followed by a better at-bat.
1: So there you go. Very familiar song uh, playing <laughs> playing in the background there at uh, – what's, what's the field? Is it uh... – Is it Lately Field? Is that what it is in Charleston? I do believe it is, yes. Very familiar song as uh, Joe Bercato and Greg Carey wrapped up the baseball season. And it wraps up the school year. Which, amazingly, uh, we've made it through. Crown some baseball champions, some softball champions, basketball, football, you know, eh. But Come hell or high water, made it through an entire uh, sports calendar in West Virginia. Can't stay the same for other states, but that's another story for another day. Won't go down that path again. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Uh, just all the uncertainty that we've dealt with over the past year plus. All the question marks. All the cancellations and postponements and things being moved around and not knowing one day to the next whether somebody's gonna play or not play, or who's gonna be quarantined and who's gonna test positive and just, you know, you know the story. You know, I mean it's we've been through this time and time again. But to finally get to the finish line, to get to the end of the rainbow, to put a wrap on it, it's actually pretty amazing. When you think about it, it's pretty amazing. And West Virginia is not the only state to do it. And there are other states, you know, I talked about Ohio all the time. Ohio never stopped. Ohio never, ever stopped school, sports, or anything. They just kept on rolling. Among other states. Good for them, by the way. But when all was said and done, again I know football season in the Mountain State was was jacked up uh, early on, so I, I really don't know if you had true champions. I mean, I know they're not going to give the trophies back. Don't get me wrong, but you know there were teams that you know backed their way in, skated to you know we, we all again we know the situation, but we have true baseball champions, true softball champions, true tennis champions. A true track and field, true cross country, true volleyball. Yeah, we got a lot of true champs in West Virginia. So, uh, congratulations to everybody, even the ones who didn't win, just by, you know, and so much had to go into it, too. So much had to go into, I don't even want to say planning, because the plans change constantly. Constantly schedules changed, practices changed, locations changed. Everything had to be done on the fly. And again, you didn't know one day to the next where you were going to be, who you were going to be playing. And that took a ton of adjustment by the coaches, the athletes, the fans, the parents, the schools, the administrations. I mean, there were so many working parts that had to get everything figured out. Seemingly on a daily basis, and it was difficult. It was frustrating. It was sometimes maddening, sometimes depressing, sometimes you just wanted to throw your hands up and go, "Man, like, is it really like what we doing? Is it really worth it?" The answer is yes. It was worth it. It was worth it to give a lot of these student athletes at least an opportunity, especially for the seniors, to compete one last time, to get games in, to have a playoff, to compete for your state title. Yes, it was worth it. Can't say the same for college baseball, but that's something we'll get into uh, later on in the show as NC State was just absolutely uh, screwed by the NCAA on Saturday. I couldn't believe it happened. Maybe we will get into it. Yeah, we won't get into it now. We got NBA to get to. We have other stuff to get to. But the fact that NC State got so close, one game away from playing for a college World Series title, and then they were told to go home because they had some players test positive. Even though everybody in their program has been vaccinated, it just it blew my mind. It blew my mind. And you had people – like ESPN's Eduardo Perez saying, "Well, the protocol is the protocol. You know, you could take your protocols and shove them. I'm tired of, them. you know, these these steadfast, the, these hard cemented protocols by the NCAA and governing bodies with no wiggle room, with absolutely no. It's I'm 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 fed up. I'm tired of them. Here's an NC State. I guess I am getting into it. Here's an NC State team." That started the season one and eight. Reeled off a bunch of wins down the stretch, made it to the ACC title game, where they lost to Duke. Went through the regionals, super regionals, and they get all the way to the the one you know the the one game before the final series. They're supposed to play Vanderbilt, and before the game starts, they're saying you can't play. I mean, think about that for a second. And you know, we, we dealt we dealt with this locally this year when you had the Frankfurt and the Kaiser kids who had tremendous regular seasons, right? Couldn't play the last couple games of the regular season, made the playoffs, and then couldn't they were told they couldn't play. They were told they couldn't play. After making it all the way through, what did Frankfurt lose this year? One game? I can't remember. My mind isn't what it used to be. Even what 6 months ago. Yeah, Kaiser and Frankfurt, they were top 8 teams in the state. Both could have made some noise in the playoffs and both were told, "Sorry, you can't play. You can't compete for a state title." Same same thing. Here's NC State. One <laughs> And that's that's like an NFL team getting to the AFC or NFC title game. And, and being told ah, you can't play. Sorry, you can't play for the right to go to the Super Bowl. That's what it's like. It was it was a, a Bush decision by the NCAA, who somehow, someway, continues to look worse and worse. Like the NCAA steps in it every every chance they get. Sometimes I think the NCAA and Major League Baseball are run by the same people because they take every opportunity they can to look as stupid as they possibly can and make all the wrong decisions and just upset everybody. I saw this stat on on Twitter. It was just a, a picture of uh, uh, the crowd at Omaha at the World Series, College World Series. And it said, paid attendance, 21,000 or 22,000. It was 21, 22,000. Right? So here's the NCAA's logic here. Here's this this is the logic of the geniuses at the NCAA. We can let 22,000 people into Omaha, into the stadium to watch a baseball game. But we can't let NC State play because it had some kids test positive. That's the logic. And it's actually the logic used by a lot of people over the last year and a half. Let's be, let's be serious. But that's the NCAA's logic. You can buy a ticket. 22,000 people can sit in the stadium to watch a baseball game. But one of the teams can't play. A team that's been entirely vaccinated because it's, it's it was just ridiculous. Shame on the NCAA. Shame on anybody who backs the NCAA. Shame on anybody who agreed with the decision to send those young men home one game away. Yeah, but the protocols are the protocols. You shove them. How about that? (laughs) And now you got a lot of people rooting against Vanderbilt because they skated in, or they think they skated in, right? You got a lot of people thinking that Vandy, who is one of the better college baseball programs in the world, Rooting against them, like like they're the villain. Like they didn't, they did anything wrong. Good job, NCAA. Well done. All right, stick around. NBA coming up next. One hundred two point one FM, AM twelve thirty, WCMD.
0: This is the morning rush.
1: All right, last night in Atlanta, Game Three of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Bucks and the Hawks series tied. At a game apiece, Hawks out of the gate really fast, jumping out to a 15-2 lead at one point, a 15-point lead. But the Bucks chipped away, got it down to 5, uh, 32-27 after the first quarter. Giannis heated up in the second quarter, scored 11 points as Milwaukee outscored Atlanta by five in that period. to tie things up at 56 heading into the break. Hawks regained the lead in the second half and held on to it until late in the third quarter.
6: Giannis over the top to Portis. Portis stripped of the ball, got it back, puts it up and in, and the Bucs have taken the lead with two minutes to go in the third. Portis has made some
7: smart moves. Every time he gets Lou Williams on, he runs right to the rim. Giannis has has found him.
1: The call on ESPN Radio, the bucket by Bobby Portis Jr., gave the Bucs their first lead of the game, 82-80. But a three-pointer by Danilo Gallinari put the Hawks back in front. 85-83 heading into the fourth quarter. And that fourth quarter became the Chris Middleton show.
6: Out ahead to Giannis. Giannis had a steam. No look pass for Connaughton. Now the baseline drive and pass to the corner. Tucker P.J. will give it up to Middleton. Red hot three. It's another Chris Middleton on fire in game three of the Eastern Conference finals here in the fourth quarter. Holiday will inbound for the Bucks, who have a five point lead. 3.15 to go in game three. Pass for Giannis. Straddling the three point line. Back to Middleton. Darts inside the arc. Picked up by Bogdanovich with a left hand dribble. He's back beyond the arc. This is a deep two, and he buries another one. What? <laughs> I love that reaction. What?
1: 20 points in the fourth quarter alone for Chris Middleton. He outscored the entire Atlanta team in the fourth, to 20-17, and the Bucs go on to a 113-102 win to take a 2-1 series lead. Middleton finished with a career playoff tying 38 points to go along with 11 rebounds and 7 assists. He made three three-pointers during a 15-3 run in that fourth that gave the Bucks the lead for good. Here is Middleton after the game.
7: What was it like for you out there on the floor tonight against these Hawks?
5: tough um you know they're a great team you know a lot of people didn't see them being here um, at this point in the season but they're here for a reason those guys over there are talented they play well together and they they defend well also
7: what was the genesis of those runs we saw you go on a big one to end the half take your first lead
5: just staying with it um you know when they play our best basketball seemed like we were sloppy with the ball Um, they got transition out in transition seemed like they hit every shot we just stuck with it kept trying to grind them down uh, and then eventually go on our run
7: speaking of hitting every shot you did a little bit of that yourself towards the end of the fourth quarter. Were you doing something different? Were your teammates setting more screens? Help me out.
5: Just finally got, got him to go. i am just struggling some with the ball going in the basket. Um, and they finally they started dropping for me at the right time. So, you know, I'm thankful for that.
1: Uh, Giannis uh, finished with 33 points. Portis had 15 off the bench. Trey Young had 35 for the Hawks, but uh, he was slowed down significantly in the fourth quarter. After turning his ankle late in the third, he stepped on an official's foot and injured his right ankle. He will have an MRI on the ankle today. To put a cap on Game 3, the guys who called it on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessischer and John Barry.
6: Chris Middleton grew up about four and a half hours away in Charleston, South Carolina, a big contingent of his family here, and they got to watch Middleton go off for 20 fourth quarter points tie his postseason career high with 38 Middleton carried the Bucks JB to this game three win
7: man he was uh something how about 11 boards and seven assists to go along with it and boy did they need it they were trailing going into the fourth and we talked about Chris Middleton is a guy they go to a lot uh, we know the greatness of Giannis Antetokounmpo but uh, the way he sh- the lack of his shooting the lack of his free throw shooting they go to Middleton a bunch so this is nothing new uh, I know the Milwaukee Bucks weren't surprised that Chris Middleton took these shots uh, and came up big. Uh, he really struggled in game one, was better in game two, and we joked with him after game two uh, that he wanted another minute of action in that third quarter to get a little more of a rhythm. Bud took him out. Uh, I guess Bud knew was, <laughs> knew it was right because uh, he found the rhythm. It took him a little while tonight, but boy, that fourth quarter, uh, he was... Uh,
6: absolutely incredible. Yeah, he outscored the entire Hawks team in the yep. fourth quarter by himself. Uh, Middleton and Giannis teamed up for 71 points. Trey Young's line, at least in the points column, is going to look good with 35, but most of that damage was done in the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. Stepped on a referee's foot, had missed some time uh, with an apparent turned ankle. Only three points in the fourth quarter when he came back in. Yeah, you know, just four field goal
7: attempts in that fourth quarter is about eight minutes of action. Uh, so obviously that'll be Uh, the talking point. uh, Was he injured? Did he lose his aggressiveness because the ankle was turned? Uh, Obviously moving forward, if that's a problem, uh, that's a major problem for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, He was great in that third quarter. We came out in a tie ball game. He went off. 15 quick points for him in that quarter, Uh, but they're going to need him certainly as they move forward. And there's a lot of other guys who just aren't making shots right now for the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, the three-point shooting uh, continues to be a problem. Uh, 15 for 37, much, much better than they've been. Uh, but timely ones... They just have not been able to make those in the last two
6: ball games, for sure. The Atlanta Hawks splashed into this Eastern Conference final series, a road win in Milwaukee. But since the Bucks, with the 34-point winning game two, and in game three on the road, Milwaukee rallies down 15 early behind Chris Middleton's 38 points. The Bucks have a 2-1 series lead after beating Atlanta 113 to 102.
1: And game four will be tomorrow night back in Atlanta. There is one person in particular rooting heavily for Trey Young to be healthy and rooting heavily for the Hawks. In early May, somebody at DraftKings uh, Sportsbook bet twenty grand on the Hawks To win the Eastern Conference and 20 grand more on the Hawks to win the NBA championship. If both of those bets hit, this particular better will win $2.8 million. All right, when we come back tonight, Game 5 of the West Finals. And the Blazers have a new head coach. Stick around. WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Talking NBA playoffs. I told you uh, just before the break about somebody Placing a couple of bets on uh, DraftKings. 20000 bucks for the Hawks to win the Eastern Conference. Another 20000 on the Hawks to win the NBA title. If both of those bets hit, uh, they will win $2.8 That's amazing. Now I hit something last week. Certainly not on the same level as that, but I pulled off a hell mary. I actually, <laughs> I wouldn't advise it, but I dropped a couple bills on. Right, it was seven bucks. I'm not a heavy better. If I do, it's always like five, seven bucks. I put seven bucks on the money line for the Orioles to win Friday. I think it was plus three twenty. Of course, the Orioles had lost 20 straight games on the road. We talk about it all the time. They're playing the Blue Jays in Buffalo. And I'm just like scrolling through the lines. And I see Orioles money line plus 320. I'm like, you know what? Why not? Why not? There, and look, there is no scientific method behind it. I had no inside information. My thought process was, you know what? They got to win on the road sooner or later. That was it. So I put seven bucks on the Orioles to win Friday, and they did. So I I turned seven bucks into like I think it was twenty two fifty or something. Like that. I don't know. All right, back to the NBA tonight. Game five of the Western Conference Finals. The Suns have a chance to advance to the NBA Finals for the first time since nineteen ninety three. If they get a win, they lead the Clippers uh, three games to one after Saturday's 84, eighty four eighty eighty four eighty. Yikes! In L A. Tonight's game in Phoenix, Uh, Kawhi Leonard will miss his seventh straight game for the Clips with that sprained right knee. With Leonard out, DeAndre Ayton has uh, stepped up his game for the Suns. He had 19 points, 22 rebounds, and four blocks on Saturday. Of course, he had that incredible game-winning dunk on that out-of-bounds play to win uh, game two that put the Suns up uh, two games to none in the series. But as good as Ayton has been this series, ESPN's Dave McMiniman reports uh, the drive to get to the finals has been fueled by Chris Paul.
8: The Phoenix Suns are one win away from the NBA finals, which means Chris Paul is one win away from the finals too after 16 long years, which isn't lost on Paul's teammates. Devin Booker said he has, quote, been a fan of his for a long time and that the team knows how bad he wants it and he added, we definitely have his back. Senator DeAndre Ayton called Paul, quote, the best thing to happen to my career, and he's gonna try his best to repay that with at least one more win. Of course, Paul was here before, up 3-2 in the conference finals with Houston in 2018 before he hurt his hamstring and Golden State roared back to win the final two. Everything happens for a reason, Paul said of his disappointment three years ago. Don't dwell on things, but you always remember, he hopes to create some better memories in Monday's game five. So the Suns win tonight, they're off to the
1: NBA Finals for the first time since 93, which would be pretty incredible when you consider the Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup Final for the first time since 1993. If the Clippers win tonight, Game 6 back in L.A. on Wednesday. And one final NBA nugget, the Trailblazers have reportedly reached an agreement to hire Chauncey Billups as their new head coach. Uh, sources told ESPN, the former Detroit Pistons star and a Clippers assistant coach, will sign a five-year deal with an option for a six-year. Billups will be introduced at a news conference tomorrow in Portland. Uh, he will replace Terry Stotts, who left Portland. You have to say his name that way, by the way. And anytime you say Terry Stotts, you got to say it like that. Stotts. He left Portland after leading the team to eight straight trips to the playoffs which, unfortunately, included three first-round exits in the last four years. ESPN's a P.J. Carlissimo on what lies ahead for the new Portland head coach. I think he's got the biggest challenge
9: solved already because Damian Lillard basically lobbied for him. Your best player in that relationship is what's going to key, how successful you're going to be. The Blazers are obviously a very good team. Terry Stotts did a great job there. Where their problems are, are on the defensive end of the floor. On this end of the floor, it's not a problem with Dame C.J. Depending on what they do with their roster, offense has never been a problem for the Portland Trailblazers. And I think Chauncey going in, who he hires is also going to be very important. Ironically, when I first when I came from college, first guy I hired was Rick Carlisle. I had Dick Carter, Rick Carlisle, uh, Johnny Davis, and Elston Turner. I had veteran NBA guys. Chauncey, does he know the game? Absolutely but he'll have some assistance to lean on, and that's going to be very important for him in his first coaching
10: assignment. Defensively, he figures well, to make an he kno-
9: impact. He knows what a difference that end of the floor is. And the way the NBA works, when you get rid of a coach, yeah. usually you go the other way. So, okay, yeah, Terry was a great coach. They're saying, okay, they were great offensively. Yeah. Now we need a defensive emphasis.
1: And Billups in his playing days, uh, five-time All-Star with Detroit MVP, the 2004 Finals could put the ball in the bucket, but he could D up too. He was known for his defense. And I saw there were some rumblings over the weekend that Dame Lillard was not too happy in Portland. He wasn't happy with the uh, playoff exits. He wasn't particularly happy with the way the coaching search was going. But since he was kind of pushing for Billups to get the job, one would have to assume that he's going to stay in Portland. That maybe if they'd gone a different direction, brought somebody in he wasn't quite fond of, that he would have asked to be traded out of Portland. So it looks like, at least for now, that Lillard and CJ McCollum, that they'd be happy. Now, I don't know what kind of coach. This is this is Billup's first head coaching job. No idea what kind of coach he's going to be. And as you heard PJ say right there, they can put the ball in the hole. Dame can score from anywhere. They just can't stop anybody. <laughs> that's been, you know, Terry Stotts. Stotts was a good offensive coach. Not so much on the defensive side. I want to see a uh, a television crime drama with Terry Stotts and Islanders head coach Barry Trotz. I, that's what I want. Or I want to see some kind of variety hour. It's the Stotts and Trotz hour. Is there anybody else that I'm missing? Stots, trots? <laughs> anyway, uh, Billups again to be introduced uh, tomorrow as the new head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. Tonight, uh, on this very station, programming note, we will have Game 1 of the College World Series, which we talked about earlier this hour, Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. It's a best-of-three series, uh, all, well, at least the first two games will be on tonight, game three, if necessary. On Wednesday, Uh, all three nights, pregame starts at 6.45, brought to you uh, by Westwood One. So there you go. Again, a lot of people, through no fault of their own, rooting against Vanderbilt because of how they got to this uh, title series because of the way the NCAA screwed over NC State, which we'll talk about more uh, in the next hour. Also, next hour, uh, we will preview game one, of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight. The Lightning going for back-to-back Cup titles. Uh, they host the upstart, the Cinderella, Montreal Canadiens, Les Habitants. And we'll talk about, uh, oh, that's right, uh, a Seattle Mariners pitcher, the first to get busted under the new uh, sticky substance uh, rules. All that and more coming up, hour number two, stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230. WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: I have no idea why I drink coffee during a break, because it always just comes right back up. Anyway, Uh, we start with Major League Baseball. No, not that. I mean, just just, uh, burp. I'm just burp, just burp, you know. Anyway. Uh, Major League Baseball, the Pirates were led by a couple of rookies in St. Louis.
2: And a swing of the ground ball to third. Hayes from foul ground on to first. And he got him! What a play by Key Brian Hayes! He threw out Molina two steps into foul territory. What an extraordinary play.
1: Joe blocked the call on the Pirates radio network. Key Brian Hayes with one of the best plays you'll ever see at third base. And I do not say that Lightly. It was a fantastic play. Now, it did help that Yadier Molina was running, okay? if Molina might be the only player in Major League Baseball that I could beat in a foot race. Anybody else that's running, they don't get the out. But that does not take away from the play that Hayes made. A good two steps into foul territory. Backhands, jumps, throws, and delivers it bullseye on target to get Molina by like a, a quarter of a step. It was a great play. That play backed up fellow rookie Max Cranick, who made his major league debut on the mound. Kranich, he hadn't pitched higher than high A ball before this season. The Pirates fast-tracked him through double and triple A. Makes his debut yesterday. He threw five perfect innings. Before an hour rain delay forced him out of the game, he threw only 50 pitches, 36 for strikes, and struck out three. Pirates won the game 7-2 to take three of four in the series. Gregory Polanco and Ben Gamble homeward and Adam Frazier had three hits for the Bucks, who have won nine—I'm sorry, six of nine—following their 10-game losing streak. And Elias Sports Bureau put out some crazy stat as Elias does, that Kranich is the first pitcher since 1893 to be pulled after at least five perfect innings in a Major League debut. Now, look, I understand that the number of pitchers who go five perfect in their debut is, is probably somewhere between slim and none. But still, 1893, five perfect, that's good. And unfortunately, the rain delay. Nothing you can do about that. It's not like he was pulled by Derek Shelton just because. And it's just one of those things you can kind of wonder what if again. Fifty pitches through five innings, ten pitches per inning. It would have been not, it would have been great to see how long he could have gone that perfect game or no hitter, because the Cards didn't get their first hit to the seventh inning. Definitely, I think he will earn himself a second start for the Pirates, who, of course, pitching has been their big bugaboo this season. Elsewhere, the Nationals were in Miami looking for a four-game split with the Marlins. A long hold,
2: the 0-1. Swinging a high fly ball, right center field deep. Cooper giving chase. This one's way back there. It may go, and it's gone. Opposite field, right center. Home run number 12 for Trey Turner. And the Nationals are in front, 3-1. to now oh, what a big fly to right center, opposite field power for the Nationals shortstop. They take advantage of the leadoff walk with a blast. And the Nationals have the two-run lead, 3-1. to one.
1: That two-run homer for the Nats was nice, so they did it twice. The
2: 1-1. Swing and a drive, left center field. This one is crushed. Way back goes Sanchez looking up, and there it goes. Long gone to left center. Over the wall for Josh Bell, his 11th of the year. The Nationals on a pair of two-run homers now lead Miami 5-1 to in the sixth inning.
1: Dave Jagler of the call on the Nationals Radio Network. 5-1 the final Nats win thanks to those two-run bombs by Turner and Bell in the sixth inning. Uh, those bombs gave Max Scherzer the win. He went six innings, allowing just the one run on five hits with seven strikeouts. Nats remain four games behind the first-place Mets. In the NL East, and the Blue Jays beat the Orioles. or a shocker. In Buffalo, five-two to take three of four in that series. Ryan Mountcastle homered for the O's, who have lost sixteen of eighteen. Now on Saturday, ESPN sources confirmed that Trey Mancini has accepted an invitation to compete in this year's Home Run Derby. Now we know Mancini's story by now. He missed all of last season. After being diagnosed with a stage three colon cancer, he returned this season after surgery. He has 14 home runs for the O's this season. So, this you know feel good story just gets better as Mancini will uh, take part in the home run derby. And in high school baseball, Casey missed it on Saturday. Moorfield, congratulations to the Yellow Jackets. Won their third straight Class A state baseball championship with an 11-8 win over the Man Hillbilly, still a fantastic nickname. Carson Reed had three hits, drove in three runs, and went four innings to pick up the win for the Yellow Jackets, who finished their title run with a record of 22-5. Now remember, they won state titles in 2018-2019. Couldn't win one last year because there was no tournament, because, you know, pandemic. They come back this year to win their third straight Class A title. Here's head coach Wade Armentrout
3: hard to describe what these guys have accomplished, especially in their career. You know, everybody's always picking each other up, no matter what the situation is. We've had guys that have stepped up in big situations. Jaden Moore's had a great tournament, um, did well at the plate. Our pitchers came through today, banged out 15 hits against a really good team. So It's, it's just a fantastic team. They're, they're just great guys. They're unselfish. Um, they, they like to do things that are going to help the team. I think in the 82 years of baseball in West Virginia, I could only see that three teams won back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. I think it was maybe one team in triple, one in single A, one in double A. So it's been really difficult to do, obviously. But you know, the, these guys have worked hard. They've played a lot of baseball when they were young. Their parents support it. Our community supports it. Um, so we're, we're hoping that it's going to continue. But, with, man, we sure are going to enjoy it. We're going to miss these seniors.
1: So the Jackets get their third straight Class A title. You know, he mentioned – uh, three teams in the 82 years to win back-to-back-to-back, to back to back. Uh, Bridgeport being one of them, as they won back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back six straight A championships. And they moved to A this year, and they won that championship as well. <laughs> oh, boy, I remember how many people, oh, well, let's see how good Bridgeport is now. Moving to A and... Yeah, so there you go. Uh, To put a cap on the West Virginia State Baseball Tournament and, believe it or not, the 2020-21 sports year, at least as far as high school goes, uh, the guys at Metro News.
4: Joe Picardo and Greg Carey here to put a wrap on the state high school baseball tournament. Three champions crowned today, two defending champions, the first... The Bridgeport Indians bumping up to class AAA A and winning their seventh consecutive state title. Now, they've won state titles every year since 2014, Greg, but I get the sense from talking to Robert Shields after the game, this one stands out without question.
5: Yeah, you, you and I have both known Robert Shields a long time, and. Obviously, he's a baseball lifer, but you could tell after they beat Jefferson the other night, this was a game he really wanted. He's had this circled. Numerous good Bridgeport teams throughout the years, and Christ AAA haven't gotten to this point. So for them to do it certainly means a lot to him, and you really got to tip your cap to Ryan Goff. Only pitches 12 innings all season. The University of Charleston-bound player comes in in relief four-and-a-third strong innings, and it played a very vital role for the Indians in their
4: 10-4 victory. Class AA, the Logan Wildcats, with their first title in over a decade, and a very impressive hitting performance in a 13-0 five-inning win over North Marion. This one was
5: over pretty quickly after back-to-back four-run innings in the first and second. I think one of the things coming in for Logan that was really impressive, you're kind of concerned maybe an emotional walk-off victory yesterday. How did they respond from it? They showed right away, turned a double play in the top of the first inning, score four runs in the bottom of the first, scored four in the second and the third and they were in complete control throughout. Very impressive performance by a team with six sophomores and two freshmen in their starting lineup. And
4: another team coming off of a walk-off victory yesterday, the Moorfield Yellow Jackets. They win their third consecutive Class A state title. Eight of nine guys in the starting nine got hits. They ran through a couple of different pitchers but an 11 to 8 victory gives them the Class A state title for the third year in a row and uh, certainly reinforcing the notion that Moorfield is the dominant Class A program
5: in the state. Without a doubt, you know, a lot of times the winning teams down here, particularly when they put up runs, you'll hear the coach talk about we hit one through nine. But Moorfield really is the epitome of a team that gets production from the entirety of its lineup. It seems like a different guy can beat you every night. And man put up a good fight. Man jumped out in front early. You're kind of worried Moorfield coming off a walk-off victory where they get off to a sluggish start. They did for an inning and a half. But they were able to rebound. And once they got rolling, it seemed like every at bat was followed by a better at bat.
1: So there you go. Uh, thanks to Greg Carey and Joe Percato right there. Very familiar song <laughs> playing in the background there uh, in Charleston. Congratulations, Bridgeport, Logan, and Moorfield, uh, your baseball state champs in uh, the Mound State. As I said in the first hour, I won't go over it again in detail. I mean, yeah, in length, I should say, but uh, pretty incredible when you think about it, to get through all of the state championships in West Virginia and some in Maryland as well, at least for the spring anyway. Pretty incredible. Pretty amazing. After, you know, everything that everybody's gone through the past year and a half, all the protocols, quarantines, rescheduling, postponements, cancellations, just the uncertainty of it all. It's it's good to they reach the finish line and put a cap on it. And hopefully, hopefully, I'll say it for a third time, hopefully things will be back to where they should be in the fall and the 2021-22 school year. So there you go. All right, uh, let's switch gears now. Let's go talk some pucks, shall we? Tonight in Tampa Bay, the Lightning begin their quest for a second straight Stanley Cup championship. When they host the Cinderella Canadiens. Les Habitants. Tampa Bay going for a third title since they began play in 1993. Which is the last year the Canadiens or any team from Canada won the cup. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Tampa Bay joined the league in 93. They have a chance to win their third cup tonight. Montreal Hasn't even been in the finals since 1993. And no team north of the border has won a cup since 93. And both teams definitely took different routes or routes, depending on what part of the country you're from, to get here. Tampa Bay had 75 points in the regular season. Montreal had 59. It's the lowest point total of any team that made the playoffs this year. And we gave you the stat on Friday that there were two teams that had more points than Montreal that missed the playoffs this year because they were in different divisions. It is certainly uh, one of those David versus Goliath series. Here's ESPN's Emily Kaplan. This is a huge mismatch
0: on paper. Like, entering the postseason, Montreal was plus 3,500 to win the Cup. No Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup since the Canadians last won it in 1993. That 28-year stretch has just been excruciating. Meanwhile, the Lightning, they're a juggernaut. They've actually bending over the salary cap in the postseason because of some of hockey's crazy rules, but they've got so much star power, so much talent, and they're defending champs, and they're looking to become the first defending champ since Pittsburgh. Very rare to do that. Pittsburgh did it uh, in 2017, 2018, but before that we hadn't seen it since the 90s in Detroit. So it's definitely juicy with storylines with Stanley Cup final.
1: Yeah, a lot of people uh, on the socials after – Tampa Bay beat the Islanders one nothing in that Game Seven to kind of you know, well not kind of they did. Figure out I'm, I'm, what am I looking for here? Not figure out to cement this the pairing. I can't I can't put it in the right words. They beat the Islanders to move on to give us the pairing for tonight's final. Something like that. I, I took the securities route. To Do get, you understand?
9: Ah. Wait, what did you say?
1: All right, all right, that's funny. That's funny. Anyway, after the Lightning beat the Islanders one nothing in Game Seven to make their way to the Cup final, there is a a snowball. There, there was this groundswell of like sudden hatred for Tampa Bay. It was pretty incredible. I understand Montreal is like a feel good story. All you know, the little engine that could. Only 59 points in the regular seat. I, I get all that. They're the underdog big time. A lot of people just, like, they do not want to see 10. Because, and you heard Emily say about the whole salary cap thing, and I, I can't get into it because I don't even understand half of it, but the Lightning were actually able to spend over the salary cap in the playoffs because of some weird rules in the NHL. So people were holding that against the Lightning, which, look, uh, it's not exactly cheating. If there are certain rules in place that teams take advantage of, it's not their fault. That's the league's fault, right? It's not like they're doing anything illegal. If there are loopholes to be taken advantage of, you take advantage of them. That's just that's the way it goes. So if there are loopholes, if there are rules that allow the Lightning to actually again spend over the salary cap, then you take them. If other teams didn't or couldn't, that's that's their problem. So, at least on paper, at least throughout the regular season, when you look at recent success, tonight's Game 1, this Stanley Cup series, is definitely a mismatch. However, Sirius XM's NHL contributor, this is one of the best names in radio, Zig Fricasse, he likes the wave of momentum, the Canadiens are riding into the Cup Final.
7: Is this Montreal run continuing? Is it, is it for real? And I honestly believe that it is. When you play a sound defensive style like they have, and when Carey Price is playing like the international version of Carey Price, we've seen him win Olympic gold medals and that kind of thing. When he's at that level, that's why I think even a team like Tampa, who's so well-rounded, It is tough to beat. And if I'm the Lightning, how much do I got left after that grinding seven-game series against the Islanders?
1: They'll have something left. And, yes, Montreal has Carey Price. But guess what? Tampa Bay has Andre Vasilevsky. And if you give me the choice between the two, I'm taking Vasilevsky. Nothing against Carey Price, one of the best goaltenders in the league. Vasilevsky's better. In Tampa Bay for Game 1, and the entire series, the guys who have been covering Cup Finals for ESPN since I can remember, (laughs) here's Steve Levy and the great one, Barry Melrose. Third time in the last seven years, the
0: Tampa Bay Lightning will play in the Stanley Cup Final. Last year, of course, they won it in the bubble in Edmonton. They are thrilled to be back home in Tampa. And we are thrilled to be in the arena and once again covering the Stanley Cup final. But the happiest guy on the planet, Barry, had to be head coach John Cooper, seeing Nikita Kucherov, one of the first players on the ice, Sunday at the skate.
8: No, I think the guy who runs the power play, the coach of the power (laughs) play unit, was the happiest guy to have Kucherov back. Uh, Unbelievable job. The guy gets hurt. He comes back. Uh he's on the ice with two minutes left in the winning game against the New York Honors, a team that's really, really physical, played hard every shift he was out there. The guys admitted that they needed him back in the lineup to win that game, and they win a one-nothing. And I personally believe without a doubt, yeah. this is the best power play guy in the NHL. Anybody on any team does not run a power play as well as Kutra
0: And they have the best power play in the yes, league Yes, they do. They're clicking at some 38%. That'll definitely be one of the stories as the Tampa Bay Lightning attempt to become just the third different franchise to repeat as Stanley Cup winners in the last 30 years.
4: I think we just used that experience that we had last year um, in terms of, you know, for fulfilling your ultimate dream of winning the Stanley Cup and realizing how amazing that feeling is and knowing how hard it was to accomplish that. You know, that was kind of one of the first thoughts for a lot of the guys was when we had the cup and we we're with the cup and spending time with the cup was like, we can't wait to do this again,
10: because it's so amazing. Us young guys uh, just want to bring a lot of energy to the group. Um, I think we've been playing some pretty good hockey, um, just helping the team out as much as we can.
0: One of those guys did not skate Sunday in Montreal. Yoel Armia had a positive COVID test. Meanwhile, Canadians head coach Dom Ducharme is expected to clear protocol and be back behind the Habs bench for Game 3. So Luke Richardson remains in charge for games one and two. Barry, any magic
8: left from Montreal, or is Tampa Bay just too strong? We talked about this. There's no magic except at Disney World. That's yeah. the only place you find that. Magic right, Kingdom. right here, what you find, you find guys working hard. You find guys getting the puck out around the wall. You find guys blocking shots. Tampa blocks a ton of shots. That's not magic. That is why... I am going to pick. In six games. I always pick six. Tampa Bay in six games. There you go. Barry pulling out the Game 7 jacket. We haven't even played Game 1 yet of the
0: Stanley Cup Final here in Tampa.
1: So there you go. Yeah, Melrose, if you don't know, always, he picks every series in six. <laughs> every series in six. I don't know if it's going to go that far, you True. I think the Lightning are just too good. I know Montreal, again, Cinderella's Cinderella story, Stanley Cup Finals, Montreal Canadiens. And this is a team that was down 3-1 to Toronto in the first round. They were down three games. had no business coming back and winning that series, and they did. They won three straight to knock off Toronto. Then they swept Winnipeg. And then they took out Vegas, which I never thought they would do. I mean, Vegas was tied for the most points in the entire league this year. They were tied with Colorado. And the only reason why Colorado won the President's Trophy was because they had a better record against Vegas, head-to-head. So I understand why a lot of people are on board with Montreal. It's been a long time since the Canadian team has won a cup. About 28 years. They're the lowest-seeded team in the playoffs. I get it. It's been a a tremendous run. Lightning are just that good. Now, as a Penguins fan, I kind of, a little bit, want to see Montreal win because the Pens are the only team in the cap era to go back-to-back. And you heard, I think it was uh, Emily say it, you know, they went back-to-back in 2017, 2018. The Playoff seasons, that is. 2017, 2016, 2017, regular seasons. Only team to go back-to-back since the salary cap era came in in 2005. So Tampa Bay, a chance to be the second team to pull off back-to-backs Since 05. And since 2015, Tampa Bay has 333 regular season victories and 66 playoff victories. Both of those numbers are the most in the NHL during that time frame. And that was one of the big knocks on head coach John Cooper. Was they've had some really good teams in the past. And they couldn't, it's kind of like with the Capitals. Like, how many years did the Capitals have really good teams and really good records and then flame out in the playoffs? Tampa was the same way. I gave it a number since 2015. 333 in a regular season, 66 in the playoffs. And they finally won a cup last year because Cooper was on the verge of getting fired because of all the the playoff uh, disappointments. Now they have a chance, starting tonight, to win back-to-back Cups. And, of course, we'll talk about tonight's game uh, tomorrow. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: I thought this was a hoax. I thought this was a joke until I saw, like, who is this guy? Who who's this guy I'm looking at right now? What's his name? Richard Davis. What is he? Who is he? Well, I can hear him. CEO of Make a Wish America. All right, I, I, I thought, like, ah, this is this is, this is a fake. Apparently. The Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, announced that they will resume granting wishes in like September, but only to kids and siblings and families who are fully vaccinated. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Tell me this is not real. Tell me this is it has to be. It says Richard Davis. he's, He's named appropriately. They will not grant wishes to any children who are not fully vaccinated. That's that's that is stunning. That is that's shocking to me. How do you do that? How do you come out and make an announcement, like make a statement like that and sleep at night? Now, hey, good news. And this was kind of the gist of his announcement. Good news. After consulting CDC and other health organizations, we're going to resume granting wishes in September. Good news. However, you got to be fully vaccinated for us to grant your wish. If that isn't one of the worst things that I have seen or heard in the last year and a half, I don't know what is. This <laughs> you gotta me. this is the Make-A-Wish Foundation. These kids are dying. Eh? And that's, that's the whole thing premise behind the Make-A-Wish Foundation to, to grant a wish to kids who are terminally ill. So you're telling these kids who are sick and dying that they need to be vaccinated in order to get their wish granted. I just That's it. That puts the cherry on top. That puts the icing on the cake. That puts the lid on the jar. We have now reached peak ridiculousness. We have now reached peak idiocy. We have now reached peak just. I don't have a word for it. I don't have a word for it. Of all the things that we've seen and heard in the last year and a half, that right there just put that that just caps it all right there. How do you have the gall? How do you have the nerve to tell these dying kids that, hey, we'll grant your wish, but you got to make sure it's your family and you and your brothers, and they're all vaccinated. Before you die, we'll grant your wish, but you got to get jabbed twice. That's, a, that's incredible. That is. I wish I wouldn't have seen it. Now I'm in a bad mood. But worse than usual. I, something tells me. Something tells me. And, and I, I saw some of the replies. When, and it's a shame. I saw some of the replies on Twitter. People saying, no, well, that's the last time they're going to donate to Make-A-Wish. That they're pulling their donations. Which, see, that's and that's the, the effect. That's the after effect. Now you're going to have kids... Missing out if people pull and pull their donations and and they lose money. Now that that's the the trickle down. That's the domino effect of that asinine statement. Wow, wow, stunned, stunned. Anyway, it's uh let's let's, let's rain it back in. I guess we'll stay on the the COVID vaccination path here and talk about NC State and the College World Series, which begins tonight in Omaha. Final round, Vanderbilt. I just, like, I don't even want to go on the show anymore. That just, that sickens me. That sickens me when when I see stuff like that. It's one thing, it's one thing if... And we can argue all day long about, you know, people say, oh, you need to be vaccinated if you want to fly somewhere. Or we can argue about uh, businesses saying you got to be vaccinated to come in or not wear a mask. Or, uh, hey, if you want to work here, you got to be vaccinated. Or if you want to attend college here, you got to be vaccinated. We, we can argue about that. There are, you know, I've, I've heard both sides to those things. But there should be no argument here with this make a wish foundation. I mean that that's not even that's not even debatable. What they just did there is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my entire life. It's one of the worst things. I have other words for it, but I can't say them on the air. This is one of those times. <laughs> This is one of those times where I wish I was on satellite radio because I would be letting it fly right now. Seriously. You, you talk about inviting major backlash. Go ahead and do something like that. If, if you want to do something to basically ruin your career, like th- go ahead and do something like, what was his name again, Richard Davis? Go ahead. Do that. Do that. Deny dying kids their wish because they're not vaccinated. Go ahead and do that. If you want to become public enemy number one, if if you want that to be your legacy, being one of the biggest dumbasses to ever walk the face of the earth, go ahead and do what he just did. And make an announcement that they're going to deny dying kids their wish because they didn't get the COVID vaccine. That's, that's That's just amazing. You know what? Let's go to break. Let's go to break. I need to walk around the room a little bit. Take a couple deep breaths when we come back we'll talk College World Series we'll talk uh, a pitcher in Seattle getting busted for the sticky stuff well allegedly anyway and then we'll wrap it up that's just that's amazing I mean can you believe it does anybody not use common sense anymore does anybody just not we know the NCAA doesn't they haven't for years All right, uh, one last break. Stick around, we'll wrap it up. My Lord, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: All right, wrapping things up on this Monday. That didn't take long at all, did it? I've now uh, seen this follow-up story on the whole Make-A-Wish thing, and now they have uh, backpedaled completely and released a statement that Make-A-Wish will not require anyone to get vaccinated to get a wish. So that didn't take long at all. Still doesn't change the fact that you idiots did it in the first place. All right, That doesn't take away that somebody thought that was a good idea. But at least uh, they got smart and it took a bunch a bunch of backlash to do it, and so now they're not making any kid get a vaccine. Okay, all right, I feel better now, a little better. Again, still doesn't you know take away the stupidity of the whole thing, but at least now every kid is eligible. Uh, College World Series Game One tonight, best of three series, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. Catch it right here. Pre-game is six forty-five. Vanderbilt. Uh, skating, uh, I shouldn't say skating, but they kind of got a free pass to the round because NC State was told to go home. NC State and Vandy, they were supposed to play a, a do or die game on Saturday and NC State had a, some kids test positive and they were all told to go home. One game shy of the title round. Mississippi State actually had to play a game and they beat Texas 4-3. to NC State on Friday had just 13 players, nine position players and four pitchers because of some kids that were quarantined. They used 12 players in a 3-1 loss, and that was supposed to force a decisive game on Saturday, but again, NC State, season was over. Told to go home. This is the team that knocked off the number one team in the country, Arkansas, a team that has never won a college World Series championship. And as you can imagine, a lot of people upset, a lot of people angry, particularly the NC State people. Uh, You had right fielder Devontae Brown tweeting out, words can't even describe his feeling, an opportunity of a lifetime, something you dream of as a little kid just snatched away in the blink of an eye. Then you have, uh, who was supposed to be the scheduled starter Friday but did not pitch, Matt Willison, who says, we'll never forget this feeling. Our coaching staff deserves better. Us players deserve better. Our fans deserve better. Everyone that believes in us deserves better. We all deserve better. NCAA, you have ruined the biggest moment of our lives so far. What a joke. And the NCAA is a joke. We know that. So, NC State, sent home. Vanderbilt moves on. And what this does for Vandy is it allowed them – to rest their two best pitchers, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. Instead of having to use them on Saturday in that do or die against NC State, they didn't have to play. So now Mississippi State will likely face Leiter and Rocker in games one and two tonight and tomorrow. And I, you see on the socials, a lot of people now rooting, Vandy, by the way, is the defending national champion, the defending World Series champion. People rooting against Vandy because they kind of got that free pass to the title round. It's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. The NCAA did by forcing NC State to go home. And Vandy head coach Patrick Corbin says, you know, hey, we got here and we got to move forward.
8: I mean, it's all your perspective on things. I mean, the world didn't end. We're, we're, We're playing baseball. I mean, we... That's, for us, we we get to move forward. I understand the other side, I do. I, I'm, we're very empathetic and very sympathetic to that. We, but we have no control over that, regardless of what anyone insinuates or what anyone says. Uh, we, we're just playing baseball. That's all we can do, we can stay in our lane. But the kids are fine. Um, I mean, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that are spending the last days with one another.
1: And so look, he's right. They're not going to apologize for anything, and nor should they. So it wasn't their fault. They didn't ask to get the free pass to the title round. And regardless of how they got there, uh, Dave DeLucci of the SEC Network says, you know what, they're the defending champions. They deserve to be there.
10: Look, let's remember, these young ballplayers, they earned the right to be here. Vanderbilt was number one in the country for a long time this season. They led the SEC in batting average. They have two of the most dominant pitchers. So this is a team that definitely deserves to be here. And they are all about business. You can see Kumar and Keegan as well that are very focused on the games coming up. So as an individual, as a player, you're only worried about going out there and trying to win and help your team win. They are not gonna be distracted by all the noise out there. And who cares if you're pulling against them? Those guys have played in hostile environments. The whole season long so I like the press conference what I'm concerned with about Vanderbilt is they've committed seven errors Mm. in the College World Series that's a very good defensive team but they've got to clean it up because Mississippi State has not made an error yet
6: yeah you look at Dominic Keegan had a couple they kicked the ball around a little bit during this week and and is that a more of a a lack of focus or that's just hey baseball happens and honestly maybe they played their worst baseball kind of got lucky to get to this point and now that they're free to play
1: all right, so there you go. Game one tonight. Vandy, Mississippi State, catcher right here, at 645. One more thing before we get out of here. This happened yesterday in the Mariners White Sox game.
2: And we might have an issue going on here with Hector Santiago as the Sticky Stuff Police has pulled him over a routine inspection. And wow. they just now do they run Scott or they run Santiago? Somebody got run from this game. Santiago, of course, is out of this game, yeah. he has been pulled. Doesn't mean he can't be ejected, though. But they are taking his glove away. And Scott Service is now pleading his case. One of the umpires is uh, giving the international sign of going to his wrist, uh, looking like the uh, rosin and sunscreen type of hand gesture as Scott is palms up trying to figure this out.
1: That was the call on 710 ESPN. Seattle Mariners Hector Santiago become the first player to be ejected as part of Major League Baseball's new foreign substance protocols. He was tossed. He was leaving the game anyway. He was tossed uh, after five innings for what the umpires thought was a sticky substance on his glove. Here is Santiago after the game.
4: Third inning coming out of the game. I'm expecting him obviously to check me every inning. Um, I kind of joked around that I'm moving like if I was going to run away uh, because I know I wasn't using anything besides rosin. You know, what's what's given to us because going into this, once, once it came up, I was just like, I'm going to use rosin. That's what, that's what we got. I don't want this to be a big thing. I don't want this to happen to me.
1: But it did. (laughs) He says it was just a combination of sweat and rosin. Hard to say for sure, but the umpires, and again, the glove was taken away for, you know, further what investigation, who knows, if something comes to this. If so, he'll get suspended. So we'll see what happens. All right, show's over. Stick around. Amanda's coming up next with the Tri-State today. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your day. See you back here tomorrow 6 a.m. sharp. is the morning rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye.